0: Welcome, everyone, to the How to Get the Most Out of College podcast. There's a lot of talk about where to go to college, but not nearly enough about how to go to college, and it's the everyday decisions that drive your success. I'm your host, Elliot Felix. I've been a consultant to more than 100 colleges and universities, helping them improve their student experience, and I'm the author of How to Get the Most Out of College, where I take what I've learned about how college works and make it work for you. There are so many big changes and big adjustments for students as they enter and move through college. Some of them are intuitive and some of them are are counterintuitive. And I, I think one of the things that's surprising is what you can and can't control in your life and in college. You know, it can vary from student to student and program to program. One of the tips in how to get the most out of college is about coping with less control. And so I am super excited to have Vanessa Bush here, who's the author of embracing your perfectionist self to talk about coping with less control. If you haven't read it yet, her book is a great resource. It's a mix of anecdotes and research and advice in a really accessible way in a, you know, modular format, much like my own. So maybe some confirmation bias, but I love the format. I love the advice and I'm so excited to have you here, Vanessa.
1: Thank you, Elliot. I appreciate it. It's so great to meet you and I'm so happy to be here as a guest on your podcast. There's so much that I could talk about with relation to control. So happy and excited to be here.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm excited to get into, you know, the ABCs of perfectionism <laughs> as it relates to control. Tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get on this perfectionist kick or or lack thereof?
1: Yeah, of course. So I grew up in suburban Massachusetts, a little outside of Boston. And the environment I will say that I was in, while it was challenging in good ways, you know, made me be studious and really made me a go-getter and dream big. And those are all great things. But it also really kind of fueled this perfectionist tendency, if you will, within me and and I don't want to get too technical with relation to perfectionism, but for me it seemed very situational. It was both wanting to be perfect in type A, a little bit of that like genetic personality traits, but also very much environment driven. Getting an A was fine, but an A plus was better. Being in an honors class was looked upon, you know, with valor. It was like, oh, that's great. You know, that that's normal. If I was in a, a college prep or an advanced class, that was slightly less than. So you know, a lot of it t- is tied to worth and value, and really, it, it's a very personal thing for me. So I've been a perfectionist really my whole life. In the book itself, I don't say overcome perfectionism for a reason. I say embracing it because that's part of who I am. I am a perfectionist. Yes, I like to dream big. I like to have lofty goals. I like to challenge and push myself and be High standards.: Yeah, 100 yeah, percent. But it's recognizing that those are good tendencies up until a certain point and embracing that, but harnessing that in healthier ways. And so that's really what brought me to write this book. And it was through the work that I was doing. I'm, you know, an author, but that's really a a part-time gig, I guess. My full-time job, I work at PeopleGrove, which is really a full student lifecycle platform. And I'm a customer success manager there. So I work with a lot of institutions within higher ed. And we were hosting a conference it was last year, just last year, where I met Eric Custer, who is a Georgetown professor and he leads the Career Institute Founded Manuscripts, which is the the publisher of my book. And he and I, he gave a speech about, you know, it's these small projects that really prompt great things and that really get people excited about you as a person. And what came to mind for me was, gosh, I've been wanting to write a book on perfectionism for so long.
0: Yeah, I have a guess as to what was keeping you from from (laughs) writing
1: it. Yeah, so many reasons, but yeah, I'm sure. But it was, uh, you know, I had like Word documents on my computer that I had just been typing up thoughts, ideas, like what if I could give myself advice on how to do this over? What if I could help others by kind of giving them what I've kind of navigated through and the lessons that I've learned? And what would I say to people? What would I say to myself? And now having two young boys, what would I say to them? And so that was really what kind of prompted that light bulb moment where, oh my gosh, he's talking about using the power of community to help get things done, work on passion projects, and he has a company that helps launch modern authors. Like this might actually happen, and so I went for it. I enrolled in his course, and through you know what, a better part of a year, I'm now a published author, and I I never thought I would be, but it's been a lifelong dream, and so. I really, really am so excited to talk more about it. I'm so happy that it's finally out there in the world to hopefully help others.
0: Well, congratulations. You know, it's packed with anecdotes, advice, and research. And one of the things that struck me in your book is the statistics that perfectionism among college students doubled over, you know, a 25-year period. Uh, You know, a large survey found that, you know, from 1989 to 2016, the rate of perfectionism among college students went from nine to 18 yep. percent, which I think tells us that this is really something to be looking at as we are thinking about student success and students journey to and through college and, to you know, meaningful, rewarding careers. So maybe share a story, you know, about coping with less, with less control.
1: Yes. And I loved that tip when we were first talking. I thought, gosh, the control one really just hit me. Right here.
0: Your book, you have C is for control, right? That's chapter three. Yeah,
1: Yeah, absolutely. And just to give the listeners a little bit of background. So the way that my book is organized is into sort of these micro chapters is like mini essays of A through Z. And I use each letter of the alphabet to identify a theme that either arises with perfectionism or seemingly contrasts with it like vulnerability, for example. It's not something that you typically see with perfectionists, right? But control for sure comes to mind. And I love how in your book, you know, pulling out that tip about coping with less control. When I was a college student, so I, I grew up in, like I said, suburban Massachusetts, I will say pretty privileged, almost like living under a rock, a very kind of bubbled environment. And then suddenly I was thrust into this large university where things seemed unmanageable, overwhelming. I didn't know how to do college. I didn't know how to do that. I don't, I didn't have a prescribed way of thinking about it, of relating to it. And it's funny because I felt like the biggest change for me was being so structured, which for me was great in high school and growing up. And then suddenly you're thrust into this environment where you have classes a couple hours a day, but then the rest of the day is up to you. And I didn't quite know what to do with myself. (laughs) right and it's for me it was you know control was a way and I struggled a lot my freshman year there were definitely moments where I thought I I fell out of control I felt like I couldn't find my fit I was sort of trying to reconcile who I thought I was who I thought I should be who I thought everyone else wanted me to be and how to do all of that in a way that felt still true to me but open to exploration and discovery and quite frankly I didn't know how to do that I kind of soon lost my way, became pretty depressed and developed an eating disorder. And it was something that stuck with me for 14 years. It was something that even five years ago, even I probably would not have talked as openly about it as I do now. And it was horrible. <laughs> I didn't know yeah. what to do myself, right? But it's coping with less control. Knowing I had a sort of a, an epiphany moment after returning after my freshman year. And I just thought to myself, as I was looking into perhaps transferring to a different university, is it really going to be any different? Am I really going to experience control in another environment? I really don't think so. So sort of rationalizing and realizing, gosh, I think this is on me. I think now I have to take, I can't control everything that happens in life, but I have to take ownership of what I want and have to be my own advocate. I had to seek resources and help. What I realized was that I can control my attitude and my actions, but I can't control what's happening outside of that. And I just to be okay with that. So sort of once I realized that transferring wouldn't solve it, going somewhere else wouldn't solve it, it started with me. And it was my sophomore year and I signed up for a bunch of activities. I said, you know what? I'm going to get really involved. I'm going to start to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that was the best thing I could have done. I moved in early. I was one of those move-in helpers. And I just got to know people and just start conversations. So for me, control, which interestingly enough, the origins of it is contra, which means against, and rope, which means wheel or roll. So it's almost like going against the roll, right? Arresting kind of progress or it messes with the natural flow of things. So why am I doing that? It's not natural. And it was once I kind of surrendered that power that I started having so much more fun. And I started to learn life is still gonna be okay. I'm still gonna be okay. It it doesn't have to be scary. I can still have fun figuring things out, but I have to take ownership. I have to do that. And I have to be my own advocate.
0: It's such good advice about taking ownership and advocating for yourself. And at the same time, recognizing that the roots of control are contra Mm -hmm. or against. It reminds me of another great bit of advice Aaron Dignan, who wrote Brave New Work, one of the points that he makes in that is that, you know, managers often, you know, like a typical manager will come to a meeting thinking that their job is to stop things. In order to manage risk, their job is actually to like, you know, provide edits, provide comments, provide feedback, keep something from getting issued, going out or whatever without you know, meeting the bar, but you can actually flip that and say, like, actually, my job is to keep things moving. Instead of showing up and saying, like, what do I have to say no to, saying up to say, like, what can I say yes to? And just kind of like turning the whole thing around and saying, where are the spots where I can go with the flow is really interesting. So for folks that are trying to cope with less control in college, one thing they can do is recognize the situation they're in. Right. And another thing they can do is Advocate for themselves. What does that look like? How do people do that? What are the resources they should tap into yep. personally, professionally to kind of put your advice into practice?
1: 100%. Yeah. And I think even a couple of years ago, the conversations around mental health really weren't open as they are, I like right. now. So, I, I, going back to that statistic of 9 to 18% with regards to perfectionism in college students, I, I would hazard a guess that it's even higher since the pandemic. But for me, what that looked like in terms of advocating and asking for help was using myself as a vehicle to seek out what I knew that I needed or ask other people what they thought from their experiences would be helpful. For me, that looks like, you know, going to professors that I trusted or going to join some clubs where I felt like I had some commonality with other people. And just sharing and connecting means a lot. It was so lonely being in my own world. And I thought that by closing myself off, I was protecting myself. I had never been less happy or more alone in my life than that first year. But that, again, that was a huge learning part for me where I understood that the value of my experience and the quality of it was in my hands. I was kind of almost my own problem, but my own solution as well. So it was up to me to figure out and seek out the resources. People don't know you're suffering unless you tell them. And so I went to, you know, went to a therapist, a mental health counselor, and she told me some really impactful nugget that I just, I was floored. It was so simple. And yet it made a lot of sense, but I couldn't believe I hadn't thought about it before. She said the amount of worry that you have will not actually impact the outcome. So it was much fun trying to control things, right? It probably won't even make a difference. And I thought, well, that's dumb. Why am I even trying then? <laughs> so letting go and being kind of open to things is way more valuable. And, and living in your truth is so much more freeing than trying to stay closed off. Humans are all very, very similar. As much as we don't want to believe that, there are so many barriers, challenges that we all experience that are, are very similar to others. No matter what you think, where they come from, what they look like, we're all human. We all have those experiences that are very similar.
0: Yeah, I feel like you know, as you're reaching out and you're building your support network, whether it's, you know, other students or professors, I feel like it's also finding the ones that are going to be supportive is also, you know, rather helpful. I know one of the other like bits of research that I came across in my book was the book called The Cost of Inclusion. that talks about students basically adopting these like cookie cutter personas, like I'm the Caretaker, yeah. you know, I'm the educator. And they do that to kind of like fit in, but fit in is totally the wrong metaphor, right? Because then you're like changing who you are to be part of a group as opposed to like finding a group that accepts you. And I I would imagine if you're trying to find support, like finding your people that are gonna accept you for who you are, you know, with some kind of shared interest is a key part of that.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's funny that you mentioned that because in my book, I talk a little bit about that in various chapters, but I felt like I was always trying to be that puzzle piece that fit into the wider puzzle rather right. than finding a puzzle that seemed to fit me.
0: Another flip. Yeah. That you yeah. need to do. Yeah. Exactly.
1: I tried to mold like myself into all of these different personalities. And when I was you know, growing up in high school, even I felt like because it was a smaller environment, it was somewhat manageable. I could turn on this side of myself to somebody, or I could act this way in front of someone. And then I'm suddenly in college and there's 10,000 plus students, it's unmanageable. That's not realistic. I can't do that anymore. And that's part of why I felt like I lost that control and it gave me a lot of stress. So for me, it was, you know, trying to double down on, okay, what is it that I know about myself that feels good that I want to grow or I want to like share with others? Writing, travel, helping people. How do I get involved in things outside of just your personality right it was less about like identity groups and more like activities or things that i could share like the shared experiences for me were where i kind of gravitated to so it was it really helped and just sharing you'd be so surprised when you start being vulnerable and open up to others just how much everyone else feels the same maybe at different capacities they have different stories but it's all relative and, and very much similar but it's definitely been eye-opening, especially doing this book, how much I talked to other people who were like, oh my God, yes, I feel the same way. Or I experienced something very, very similar. And I'm so glad that you're bringing this to light because it's so important. And I think for college students that are at the very initial stages of their experience, it's kind of asking yourself, okay, what can I do to get involved, to make me feel like more me? What are the areas, the clubs, the activities, the programs, the people that seem to have a like-mindedness that I could capitalize on, that I could gravitate to? For students that are perhaps in high school that are considering looking at different colleges, it's doing the research, right? You've got to do the research and figure out, do they have what you need that you feel is important to you at your core, right? Beyond programs, beyond the fun things, do they have support? Do they have a strong alumni network? Do they have faculty that are willing to help? Do they prize and do they, you know, reward mentorship? Are they a culture of mentorship? Do they bring all those things to the table? If you're a first-gen student or about to be in college, do they have a center for that? You know, yeah. it, it, recognizing what's important to you and seeing if that fits.
0: Well, one of the longest standing surveys in higher education is the NESE, the National Survey of Student Engagement. And there's a whole bunch of questions that ladder up to what they call the supportive campus environment. So that's something you can look for. I mean, a lot of places will actually publish their scores, or you can go to the institutional research website and look it up. This has been a great conversation with terrific advice about finding support, connecting with people through shared experiences, sharing your story, seeking help. You know, which we know some communities are less likely, like international students, students of color, first gen students are less likely to seek mental health counseling. So right. hopefully, you know, normalizing, getting help, not fending in, but finding acceptance. Any final advice on coping with less control, you know, for, for college students? Yeah. Families?
1: Beyond college students and families, really anyone. Control is just it's for the birds, right? It's just like it it's we can't help it. We can't control every little thing that happens in life. I think I either read or heard somewhere that we only control about 20% of our day. That is wildly low, right? So many of your day is actually by chance or things that just happen. So why fight it?
0: Right. Well, there you go. Thanks, Vanessa. Great insights. The book is Embracing Your Perfectionist Self. I recommend it. It's great on its own. And of course, you know, it pairs well with how to get the most out of college, as we've been talking about. Both great ways to think about yourself, your community, your career, and how to not just survive, but thrive. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks everyone for listening. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts and check out elliotfeelix.com for all the episodes and the articles I've written, talks I've given, and more information about the book.